0: Right. Good morning everybody. You're welcome to grab a seat. <clears throat> hey, d- don't you worry. Uh, we will have an opportunity to uh, connect uh, after the service. This is to say hi to each other. And again, uh, thank you for those of you that uh, said yes to participating and how we want to serve our neighbors, especially now in this In this moment where there are people uh, resettling in Seattle and as as we have items come in, uh, we thank you for your participation. It's not too late to do that. Uh, You can go online to check out the items. We have a QR code there that has our Connect card and and links to other opportunities for you to get involved in. And so, uh, again, thank you for being a big part of our community in that way. Feels like it's been a couple weeks since I have preached, and uh, I've I've missed you all. And it's so glad I'm so glad to be back and to and to do this. And uh, what a wonderful day as we continue our series across all Bethany's, uh, all six locations, as we entitle this series called Gather, Grow, Go. Nothing. Nothing too fancy, uh, but it's, it's three aspects that's really important to who we are and the values that we have as a church, as a whole, uh, not just West Seattle, but all six different locations, where, where we find it important and valuable and biblical that we would, would gather like, like this. Whether you're watching online or you're here, good morning, and we're so glad that we have gathered collectively as a community to be together and to worship God. We also find it important as a church. Not only do we gather, but we grow, and this happens outside of Sundays. And again, as Taylor talked about, we have small groups coming up. There's ways to get involved in serving and volunteering. We have a position open of you, of family director. And at this point, if you can pass a background check, you're in. Okay, we let's talk. But all that to say, and that's not true, parents. Parents, are you watching? We only hire the best. I don't know what happened to me, but we got, but we know that. Uh, but we're so glad that there's ways that we can grow in our faith, because our faith is not stagnant. We don't. It's not just this one-time event where we say yes to Jesus. We say this sinner's prayer, and if you're not familiar with that, that's okay. Uh, and, and then we think it's over. That's not true. We're constantly growing, which we'll be talking about today. And then, lastly, we go. We become the hands and feet of Christ. We don't just. Uh, keep our faith and what we believe insulated to Sunday mornings inside uh, of a church, but we show what the love of Christ looks like to our neighbors. And, and, and if I can just say, if we can do, if we do anything well around here, especially as Bethany in West Seattle, it's that, and we thank you. And so this morning we continue with with growing, what it means to grow. And Taylor launched the service last week. did a wonderful job on. And kicking that off. But we're going to talk about growing for one more week and then we'll continue with gathering and, and, and going. And so this week has been interesting uh, after vacation and the holidays. And uh, my wife Maria is not here, she just had shoulder surgery a couple days ago. And so be praying for her. She's recovering. Uh, but all that to say, we both agree that if you are, again, if you're watching online or watching sometime this week, or you're here and you're in or know someone in the, in the healthcare industry, especially now in the middle of this pandemic, will you thank them? Will you maybe not give them a hug, but a long distance high five or something? Uh, because, wow, uh, what a time to be in the profession, A and B. What an incredible and rewarding job they had, and we were so thankful for the care that she received as she endured this very invasive surgery. So uh, just wanted to throw that in there again. So uh, our, our text this morning comes from Ephesians, uh, and, and Paul, what, what most scholars believe, Paul did write this, although out of all the letters, uh, this is probably the most contested and most debatable, but uh, I believe that it was Paul that wrote the letter of Ephesians to Ephesus, and we'll talk about why that is. But I'm going to be reading from chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, and I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, If you are able, will you stand with me as we read God's word together? The word of the Lord says this, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, uh, we must grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. God, thank you so much that you are a part of our lives, and you want us to grow in who you are. And in that growth, you want us to reflect that love to others. In a world with so much chaos and despair and even loneliness, when we're stuck in isolation and we're not able to see our friends or our families, God, we know that you are with us. And your love compels us. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You may grab a seat. Thank you. So a few years, a few years ago, uh, I met with one of my former mentors who's a retired pastor. Uh, at this point, a few years ago, he was in his 80s. Uh, and, and I remember uh, meeting up with him and, and letting him know that at that point that I was Going to get married, I told him I said uh, I'm going to get married, and, and for some reason, he had this moment uh, uh, of shock and i don't I don't know why he was shocked, maybe he was shocked that someone would actually say yes, uh, but after the celebration, uh, we had an incredible talk, his wisdom, his insight, and at that point, he was married for uh close to fifty five years, and, and I'll never forget what he said. Uh, As he was reminiscing of his own marriage, he said, Prentice, it feels like I have been married 10 different times. He he said, I have been married 10 different times to the same woman. I have been married 10 different times to the same woman. And I'll never forget what he meant by that. And I would imagine that it goes both ways, that his wife was certainly thinking the same thing, that within 55 years of marriage, they both have evolved in one way, shape, or another. They've all, they've both transformed. They've all changed, Uh, not only as individuals, but even as a couple. Uh, In 55 years, of course, that's going to happen. What he was trying to say that his wife had several different iterations of herself, and again, I would imagine that she would say the same thing about him. Whether they knew it or not, whether they liked it or not, whether it was for the good or for the worse, or, or something in between, they both, in the matter of 55 years of being married, they have changed. And this change is a natural part of what it means to be human. Now think about your own life. I bet you would agree, too, that you've gone through an evolution of yourself, whether it's big or small. From five years ago, think about who you were. Some of you might be happy, some of you might be cringing, some of you might be sad or some of you might be encouraged, but think about yourself, who you were five years ago, 10 years ago, and if you can, 20 years ago, and if you really can, 30 to 40 to 50 years ago, and so on. I remember just a couple days ago when uh, Marie and I were talking, I was, for some reason, and I shared this after we got married, uh, of the troubles and the, the mischievousness I got into as a teenager And again, she looked at me with a sense of shock or disgust. I don't know. But one of those, uh, she gave me those looks. And I would imagine that you, as you look back, you can notice and you can name the big pivotal moments of your life when you too have changed. Or maybe it was so subtle that you don't even know or didn't realize it at the time. But what we do know is that to be human is to change, is to grow, is to evolve. Again, sometimes it's for the good. By God's grace, sometimes it's for the great. But sometimes also it's for the worst. And so the ultimate truth here is not whether or not you will grow, because you will. But the ultimate question is, who will you grow to be? Now, the danger of this idea of growing, that everybody grows, is that there's a myth out there that says, and maybe you've heard this too, that healthy things grow. But well, we also know that that is also not true because there are a lot of unhealthy things that also grow. Illnesses in our bodies, they grow, bacteria Grows Weeds in our lawn grows. And so although there's a positive and optimistic idea of, wow, everybody is growing, whether we know it or not, we're changing, we're evolving, that's great. But the danger of that is, is that you may also grow to be someone you dislike. Someone who does wrong or someone who hurts others or even themselves or is completely detached from God. Again, everybody is growing. And to further complicate this, our society, our culture knows that this is a question that burns inside all of us every single day. It's a question of identity. Again, who am I? And who am I becoming? And in this morning's text in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that this question of identity is nothing new. The Apostle Paul speaks to this very issue but to better understand what's happening i want to unpack what's happening in ephesians chapter 4 just for a moment a few things number one uh ephesians was a letter again i'm convinced written by paul uh, to the church of ephesus in the early 60s a.d Uh, he was writing where uh, just a few years before that he went on some missionary journeys where he was essentially planting churches Uh, all over the known world, and Ephesus being one of them. Number two, this was during a time, again, in the early 60s uh, A.D., where Ephesus uh, was a major hotspot in the Mediterranean. And scholars all would agree that uh, it was one of the most important cities in ancient times, just behind Jerusalem, which is the reason why the Romans quickly occupied the land. But it was a hot spot, thoroughly, for a couple different reasons. First, uh, because of the geographical nature of where Ephesus was. It was right on the shoreline in the Mediterranean, right on the water. Thus, it became a major port town where people from all over the known world traveled to and from Ephesus. Ephesus. There was trade, there was commerce, there was diversity, diversity in ethnicity, people traveling from all over the world. There was diversity in religions, there was diversity in worldviews. And secondly, it was the home to the goddess of Artemis, the cultic goddess of the hunt. Of the wilderness. That's what she was known for. And she was one of the most powerful gods known in this time. And so, worshipers from all over the known world would travel to Ephesus in order to pay homage to Artemis. And now, while diversity is beautiful, we truly wholeheartedly believe that around here that diversity is, is beautiful and it's to be celebrated. But you can imagine during this time, the issues that would also arise for the followers of Jesus, newly converted followers of Jesus at this time. The common messages in the time was that in order to have the good life, in order to live the life, not just life, but life to the fullest, in order to be joyful and have peace and security, in order to lead, live the best life possible, it was all about wealth, hence all the trade and the commerce that was happening. It was all about dominance and power, hence the Roman occupation. It was all about worshiping cultic gods and goddesses, especially Artemis. And so you can imagine that in the world of so much diversity, uh, that there were competing messages for the newly formed Christians who were first converted because of their love and their intimacy and their desired connection to this new life, the way in Jesus. They were convinced that uh, the way to life, the way to eternity, the way to true Happiness and joy was included nothing else but Jesus. Jesus was the only way that could provide all of that. And yet now here they were in Ephesus uh, listening and hearing all this different noise of actually that is wrong. The real way to joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment and absolute content, something that we all know something about, longing for content, the message was, well, you need to do this. You need power, you need wealth, you need status, you need fame. You need to worship God, the goddess Artemis. There were so many different competing voices in this world as we know it in Ephesus became extremely pluralistic, something that we may know something about here in Seattle. In Paul's admonishment in verse 14, again, what we read, he says this, We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine. Everything you hear is just people are believing this, and they're over here. They're believing that. They're over there. It feels like they're just on this boat, and this wind and water is just pushing them over. They're not rooted. They're not grounded. They have no stability. They're just believing everything that they're hearing. And so Paul says... To these newly found Christians in Ephesus, uh, we must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now, don't miss what's happening. Paul, he's, he's brilliant. He's doing three things here. First, he's using the word children to denote immaturity. What you're doing is immature. In other words, if you're mature, you need to grow. And not only do you need to grow, but he says you need to grow in the person of Jesus. Because again, Paul's also convinced that with all these different competing voices, we're all growing. We're all being formed. We're all being shaped by some ideology, some worldview, another cultic religion, uh, you know, by, by greed, by money, by hunger of power or wealth. Whatever it is, people were actually growing. They were being formed. So what Paul is saying, you are immature. You need to grow because you will grow. And, and he doesn't stop there. He says, you need to grow closer to the image of Jesus. So, A, he points out their immaturity too. He uses very vivid imagery that most people around that time would understand. You see, most people going to and from Ephesus, they came by not land but sea. And so this image of being tossed and pushed around, being blown by the wind and the waters, they understood exactly what Paul was talking about. Oh, it's like being on the boat. And during this time, especially in the Mediterranean, the winds, it wasn't just, you know, it would rock the boat a little bit. It was actually life-threatening. And so when these people heard Paul talk about being tossed and turned by the winds and the waves, the the, the image that they have was denoted something that was life-threatening. And so Paul essentially is saying, you need to grow up, And stop listening to all the voices in the world because that is immature and you need to grow because those voices are actually threatening your life. Maybe it was literal, but maybe it was metaphorical as well. That these voices are actually destructive and detrimental to your life. You want to know what it looks like to live the best life? You are following the wrong advice. And lastly, he uses the words that anybody would be familiar with uh, if they understood the Torah, the ancient Jews, the Jewish text, the five books of the Old Testament, they would understand and they would catch right away the word craftiness. Because it was the same word throughout the scriptures that described the serpent in Genesis. In other words, Satan. And like Ephesus I would argue, even for myself, there are voices in our culture attempting to answer this very question for us as well. (laughs) Who am I, and who am I becoming? And the answers that the culture gives us usually comes with the promise, again, of fulfillment, of joy, of the good life, of peace, of safety, of satisfaction, of ultimate content, something that we're all yearning for right now. And you don't have to go far to receive and to hear these messages. Just look at the ads on TV, your social media, titles of thousands of different self-help books out there, Listen to the politicians, reality TV shows and movies. And, and believe me, none of these in and of itself is wrong, all right? I love a good episode of The Bachelor and Bachelorette with my wife, okay? Uh, so watching all these things and, and partaking in, in these things for entertainment or whatnot is not necessarily wrong. But you need to be careful of the messages that the culture that this world is trying to put in our heads just like there are messages in Ephesus, Messages like you need to look like this, you need to weigh this much, you need to have this many zeros in your bank account, you have to be in a relationship, you have to have certain possessions like a home and a car or whatnot, you have to have power and influence and fame, you have to vote this way, then you will become the person you need to be. There's these messages we hear day in, day out. And at this given moment in time, I would argue that the biggest lie that many Christians have fallen into, even myself oftentimes, is the notion that a certain political, I'll say it again, political allegiance will save them. Of course, most of us, we wouldn't say it this way. But regardless of how you package it, what ends up happening is that our politics, again, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or something in between or Libertarian or whatever, it just gets disguised as our Christianity, and that's wrong. Uh, there's a man named was a man named Leslie Newbegin who was a missiologist, someone who studied missions, who ended up being a cultural analyst. He says this: the sacralizing of politics, the total identification of a political goal with the will of God always unleashed demonic powers. And furthermore, there was this writer named Corey Wilson, a scholar of Leslie Newbegin. He says this, the practical application of Newbegin's, Leslie Newbegin's thinking in our current climate critiques Christians both on the right and the left. Arguments are put forth by Republicans and Democrats that their respective political alignment is the political allegiance is most faithful to Scripture. Two recent examples of this are, and I won't say insert a famous pastor, declaring any real true believer will vote for, and at this time, Donald Trump, in the upcoming election and numerous prominent evangelicals giving a plea to vote for Joe Biden because his policies are more consistent with the biblically-shaped ethic of life, mainly of justice issues. He continues and he says this. Listen to this. To argue that either party is the appropriate party for the Christian and and that a vote cast for Trump or Biden is a litmus test for maturity in faith, or worse, evidence of faith in Christ, (laughs) is a failure to fully embrace that Christendom in the West is no more. It is a failure to appropriately distinguish between the gospel and culture, and therefore a failure to live by the gospel alone. Although politics is a huge part of culture right now, like in Ephesus, there's so many voices that claim to know how to live the best life. And yes, politics is a big one. But there's other voices that we hear. And maybe there's specific voices that just nag at you. I need to be better at this. I need to do this more. And what we see is that oftentimes a key in the common denominator is ourselves. It's usually centered upon what we need to do, what I need to do in order to achieve this best life. There's this book I'm reading uh, called You You Are What You Love by uh, a philosopher professor named James K. Smith. He says this, The question isn't whether you are going to believe. Again, remember, the question isn't whether you're going to grow or not, because we will. So he says, the question isn't whether you're going to believe, but who? It's not merely about what to believe, but who to entrust yourself to. Do you really want to... (laughs) I love it. Do you really want to trust yourself? Do we really think humanity is our best bet? Do we really think we are the answer to our problems. We who've generated all of them. And hopefully you would agree with me that the answer is no. That we don't want to depend just on ourselves. And Paul has a bigger point here as he's writing to Ephesus. He says this. He says, speaking the truth in love. Here's what we should do. Instead of being tossed and turned by the ways of every trickery, of every deceit, He said we should be speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He says we must. The word must includes an imperative. We must grow up. And really the word grow up is this Greek word oxano. And the Greek word oxano means simply to increase. We must increase. It's not just grow up, but we must increase in every way. And increase in what? Increase in knowing and being closer to Christ. Increase into being more like Jesus by becoming disciples. This a Greek word, Matheteus, uh, which means to be a follower, but not just a follower, but to be like Jesus, to do like Jesus, to behave and to love and to reflect Jesus. In other words, because we live in a time where we are so inundated with messages of how we should grow, because again, we will grow, but we have messages saying, here's how you should do it. Instead of being inundated with those messages, inside of us we should be saturated, increasing in our intimacy with Christ. So that everything that we do and everything that we say becomes a byproduct of our intimacy with him and not from what we hear from our culture. And guess what? He says, we can do this in a loving way. And so, real quickly, I want to end with, with what I believe is an important element to change, to grow. And again, everyone's growing, but to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, into growing, into being more like Jesus, into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And it's something what uh, uh, Dallas Willard says in his book, Renovation of the Heart, change, especially changing to be closer and to be more like Jesus, requires three things, and he calls it uh, the VIM model, V-I-M, vision, intention, and means. First, vision. I hate to say this, but oftentimes we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't have a good vision or a good enough vision for the kingdom of God. I remember when I you know, first accepted Jesus, and I accepted Jesus as a junior high kid probably like 50 times, because I remember, you know, it's winter cap, and, you know, we're singing songs, and I'm crying, and, you know, my pastor was telling me how awful I am, and he's saying, if you want to change, you need to come up to the front, and, you know, and every one of my peers were all crying, and, and he says, if you want to essentially avoid this fiery place forever called hell, then you will say the sinner's prayer and you will become a Christian and let Jesus take over your life. And I said, okay, anything to avoid that place. And so I did that. But what what I've become to realize is that that's not a good enough vision. And I would say conversely is also true. If you think that being a Christian is only about this place where you go if you're not a Christian, or only about a place you go to after you die when you are a Christian, I would say both of those is not a compelling enough vision to want to continue our intimacy and growth and listening to be more like Jesus. It's just, it's not. A better vision of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to actually look at the life of Jesus, how Jesus loved. How Jesus forgave, how Jesus gave, how Jesus was so generous. Just look at the Beatitudes. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. That's the kind of person I want to be. I don't know about you. In a world where there's so much hatred and so much violence and so much division, I don't know about you. But a better vision is to look at the life of Jesus. That is a vision that I can be more compelled to. It's not about the things that we can acquire either. Remember, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And Satan goes up to Jesus and says, hey, guess what? If you obey me, look at everything. Just look at the land. Look at all the possessions. Look at the world. And Satan gives him a vision and says, just imagine, all of this can be yours if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, get away from me. I don't worship you that vision ultimately is not good enough. It's not compelling enough. Look at the people who, who on their deathbed, they don't talk about the things that they've owned. They talk about relationships. They talk about their faith. They talk about the people that they loved and who they were loved by. That is vision. That is what we should be compelled by, not by the things that we hear. I remember growing up, and I, I, I was super young, but yet I don't know why I'll never forget this. I remember the day uh, that I heard on the radio that Kurt Cobain had taken his own life. And, and even as a young child, for those of you, musician, Nirvana, uh, for, for some reason, even as a young child, I, I was thinking, well, wait a minute, why would someone like him want to take his own life? In my view, he had everything. He had fame, he had money, uh, you know, everyone loved him. He had status, he had big houses, and he had nice cars. Why in the world was that not enough, and he had to take his own life? Because that vision wasn't compelling enough. So in order to change, not just change, but to change closer being the image of Jesus and to follow after Jesus, we must have a vision, and it's bigger than what happens to us after we die it's the life that we imagine right now living under the reign of jesus that is bigger and better than anything else that the world offers then out of that vision dallas willard says then we can have the intention some would call it willpower we would call it holy spirit empowered is that through the vision of understanding and believing what God has to offer, we can have the attitude of, yes, that is what I want. And Dallas Willard would say that the intention is not enough. Anyone can say, I want to do something. I want to work out. I want to eat healthy. I want to spend this much time with my family. But unless you have a better vision as to why those things are important, it'll never be sustainable. And so for us, if we want to live a life that is closer and oversaturated with the person of Jesus. We must have a vision of why that is important, and that's by believing the life, death, and the resurrection, the sacrifice of Jesus into our lives, which creates the intention of wanting to pursue it. Then finally, we must have the means. Vision, intention, means. Means just means practices. Practices. And if I can offer you a recommendation on on any book, there are several, but one of them is called The Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. And he talks about uh, five or so different spiritual practices that we should be including in our lives. Prayer, spending time with God, fasting, being in solitude, serving others. These are ways that we can have these means that draws us closer to Christ. And so again, we all grow. We all change. We all evolve. This is a question we are innately born with. It's a question of identity. Who am I? And who do I want to become? And my hope and prayer, and I'm going to invite Taylor and the worship team back up as we take a moment to reflect on that very question. Who am I? And who am I becoming? Who do I want to become? And my hope and prayer is that you would have this vision that the best way to live, to have true contentment and fulfillment is living a life under the reign of Jesus. And though in our lives that we're going to hear voices of lies, of this is what you need money, fame, status, whatever it is that we may have the strength and the knowledge and the ability to say, no, that's not true. It's living a life with Christ, knowing. Jesus better and better every single day. That's what's going to change my life for the better, for the best. And so for many of us, I, I would just ask you to, and this is a, this is a, a thing that we would do with any habits, We're trying to, again, work out more or, or eat better or spend time with their family or go on walks or whatever it is. We do this. We have a vision as to why we want to do it. We have the, the intention to do it. And we do create means, whether it's getting a gym membership, whether it's, you know, going grocery shopping or meal prepping or whatever it is. We need to do this with our faith, too. So, what are the little things that we want to do this week? Is it just praying more? Is it to read scripture more. Again, you don't have to sit in your room and read for hours and hours, or maybe it's just a verse or two two a day. In order that we may increase and be saturated by the spirit of God and not be conformed by the patterns of this world. May we do this together as a church may we do this with one another. We can't do this alone. We do this and we must do this in the context of community. That's the only way it works. Accepting forgiveness. Serving the marginalized. Using our resources to give and generosity. all growing may we grow closer and closer into the image of jesus god thank you that you love us we thank you that from your love that compels us to draw closer to you and though our culture and our world tells us uh, it's a different void of you god at best and at worst antithetical to you but God help us to recognize those lies when we hear it and know that the truth is it's our life and you growing our faith in you is what makes for the best life possible that is spoken about in John 10.10 not to just have life in any life but life to its fullest capacity you are the author and the giver of life so you are the one I want to go to in order to know how to live that life the winds and the waves of everything that we hear, but to be rooted in you with others, with our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to do this journey together. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue our worship together.